Sportsnet today. Listen on the air, online, on the Sportsnet app, and always on your smart speaker. Sportsnet 960, The Fan, Calgary. Puck bounces around to Defoley. He loses it. Kadri finds it, tries a shot, but it's blocked by Wall. And the Flames run out of time. Jonathan Quick replaces an injured Logan Thompson late in the third period and saves the day for the Golden Knights. The Flames don't shoot them 44-32, but Vegas holds on for a 3-2 victory here in Calgary. And the Flames' flickering playoff hopes take another hit tonight. Yeah, that was a tough one last night. Flames drop. Another close one, 3-2 to the Vegas Golden Knights. Another one-goal loss. And not a great night on the out-of-town scoreboard either. Winnipeg Jets pick up two points in their win over the Anaheim Ducks. And Nashville, they pick up a two points in a three-point game against the Seattle Kraken. Welcome to Sportsnet Today. I'm Patrick Dumas. No Logan Gordon. Filling in for him. Taking the day off. Cam Hughes, Taylor Dingman, our producers. How are we today? Your mic's not on. Ah, good buddy. How you doing? I'm doing all right. It's Friday. Taylor's down. Taylor, you good? I'm in the middle of eating. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> good to tell you about today. Well, John Hodge, Three Down Nation, he's going to join us. Talk a little CFL. Combine's going on. Draft's coming up. David Pagnotta from the fourth period, editor-in-chief of the fourth period and host over at SiriusXM NHL Radio. Join me at 3 o'clock. Talk all things uh, NHL, what's going on around the league. At 3.30, a little fun one. Uh, I'm looking forward to this one. Uh, if you've ever, if you're a big fan of uh, NHL uniform history, this will be the conversation for you. Stick around for 3.30. Uh, we'll have a fun one coming up for you there. But first, uh, like we kick off every day here on Sportsnet Today, we talk to Calgary Flames analyst Peter Labardius and Lou. Uh, good afternoon, Lou. Where do we find you, and how are you today? This uh, on this fine Friday. I am. I'm good. Um, I'm in the parking lot of Father David Bauer Arena, where I am calling the U16 AA Provincials for my fine friends over at HN Live, and uh, enjoy doing that stuff. Well, of course you do. It's uh, well, how long is it? All weekend they're going on. Yeah, it is. So I'm I'm juggling a lot of different things this weekend. My, I'm um, what's on the plate? Well, I have two two games to call today. I'm going to do a U15 AAA provincial game tomorrow morning before I go to the dome, and then on Sunday I'm going to call two U16 games to wrap up that provincial championship, and then I don't even have to move. Because after those two on Sunday, I will call game two of the best of five U18 AAA Alberta Elite League (laughs) title series between the Calgary Flames and St. Albert. But other than that, I've got nothing on the plate. You don't quit, buddy. It's awesome. I love to hear it. Uh, It's it's fun. It's fun. This this weekend might be a little much, but I love it. I love it. Well, let's get into it. Before we get into the Flames uh, side of things, a former partner of yours, uh, you and John Garrett had the privilege of calling Flames games from 2008 to 2011. John announced he'll be hanging up the headset, calling Canucks games at the end of the year. He'll stay on with Sportsnet to do some other things, but just some thoughts on one of the best analysts ever to do it. Well, thanks for providing that platform today on the show. Um, John's a really special guy. Uh, I think he always referred to me as number 32 because that's <laughs> what number of play-by-play guy I was uh, in terms of when we worked together for a number of years on Flames broadcasts and uh, then probably the greatest highlight in many ways of my career is of the eight Olympic winter games I did play-by-play for yeah. In Vancouver in 2010, John was with me certainly for my first, and I think we did six of the eight games that I did together. So, um, you know, Roger Millions, my longtime mentor and boss about three different times in my career, and people are familiar with Roger, obviously, in this community, Mm -hmm. is 
before we ever did our first game together, talking about John and I, and I, you know, I'd met John and, and was always impressed, but he said, Peter, you're going to love this guy. He's so good at what he does. And more importantly, he's a great teammate. And that's exactly, I think, why people love John Garrett. It wasn't about him. wasn't about his ego. Um, John is John, and, and he's a beautiful guy. I learned a ton from him. I learned a ton from him, Patrick, in a way that mm-hmm. even when we worked together, I didn't necessarily think, you know, I would ever be in a analyst chair and an NHL game like I have been for the last 10 seasons. So just, just really lucky. I wish him nothing but the best. Um, and, and it really can say this very honored that, you know, I was lucky enough to have him as part of my journey and, and he's made it way better. Well, we'll talk about the game last night. Uh, I didn't hate the effort. Obviously, it's uh, nine games left in the season. You can't be dropping points right now, especially with the way they're starting at home. It's it's just so troubling. But maybe an overall thought on, on the game last night before we, we get into some other stuff. I'd say this. The start was the issue. And it put them in arrears by two goals. When they started to get to their game, it was a pretty good hockey game, as you know, Mm -hmm. and not much to choose from between two teams who actually play very similarly and have quite a similar makeup of how they're put together and currently constructed. But the tough start and having to battle back and what's the difference in the standings between those two teams? Even take about half of... Vegas's one goal wins and turn them into losses and then do the reverse. Yeah. With Calgary. How do the standings look? And so they have prospered in those situations. Calgary has not. And that's really the difference. And it was the difference again last night. They staked their claim early and it put them in good stead for the rest of the night. Jonathan Huberto on the a lot of people talked about it yesterday. End of the game, he was on the bench the last twenty seconds. Is it too late to be sending messages right now? Like we get it, the guy's been struggling, uh, but she, she's got to be on the ice in all critical situations, right? I mean, Daryl had a good clip uh, here coming up about uh, utilizing people in the final minute. Depends if it's on the fly or face off. Okay. Yeah. So, like if you, for example, you're probably thinking about last night. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we were, we got killed on faceoffs, so basically we had Lindy and Bax both out there. So you got a ready lefty, right? So that was so that does affect a lot of times. You're going five and one, you know, like five forwards, one one D or four and two, depending on how much time there is, and, and two radies on the bat, whatever. So there's a lot of different. It's not a set, and then when you when they do the timeout, it's just reinforcing a, a usually have a depending on time you have two or three set plays that you just want to reinforce so it's not it's not really anything new but it's uh, but the personnel can change so for Jonathan who's a distributor in that situation you didn't see a, a fit for him like the last minute of yesterday's for game who? Uh, Huberto, uh, yeah I think it would if it would have been better on faceoffs than one of Lindy or, or probably backs Jonathan would have been for backs because that's a lefty right? but we need the face-off, and Baxter's going to take it. Well, certainly, I, I completely, and that's one of my favorite parts, Patrick, about doing what I do is I'm, I'm always so fascinated by the coaching aspect of it. And, yeah, when you're down to 20 seconds left and you absolutely have to win a face-off, um, certainly that was part of the decision. I, I don't really think it's about, messaging at this point in time i think if you want to go any place mm-hmm. with it coaches make decisions in a lot of ways based on matchups what they need on the ice at a certain time and who they think is going to offer them the best solutions so between the face-off of needing both a righty and a lefty in that situation depending on if somebody got waved out 
where you were and where the face-off was taken, and then potentially your alignment, those things do matter. And I think it's mm-hmm. always a great reminder to all of us, which is, you know, this just doesn't apply to this situation. But, Patrick, let me ask you this. Okay. If in sports, when, you know, coaches, and I understand now more than ever why it, it's hard for them to go to certain places with the media, because at times mm-hmm. I have a tough time going to certain places with the media. But that clip showed me this. What that clip did was educate people on why you do what you do. And so as a media person, and obviously it really applies to me because analyzing what coaches do or think or why they're doing it, I always think that's the most important part of my role. So I think that's part of it. And I think the other part is what you started with. Would I have potentially found a way to have Jonathan on the ice in the last 20? Yes. But do I understand why he didn't and maybe why he thought there was a better option? Yes. And production matters, as you heard yesterday, to him more than anything. Mm -hmm. So it will tell you, and maybe as delicate or important a 20 seconds as there's been, he thought he had better options. And that's why he played better options. Milan Lucic uh, opened the scoring yesterday. Uh, this is a guy that, you know, he wears his heart on the sleeve. I think we all know that. Uh, and we've been critical of, obviously, of this guy at many points of this season. And, and we get lost in the intangibles of the game, of course. And we forget uh, what maybe he means to the fabric of this group. And it just showed, you know, leaving the ice there after the game, the dejectedness. But then, you know, the seeing when Lucic scored, opening that goal, like with with Walker Dewar, that line was really good last night. And and like I know you can't be like, oh, the, the bottom pair line can't be the best line every night, but it was really, really awesome to see that line going with Walker Dewar, the energy he brought, and then Lucic getting that big goal. Yeah. It has arguably done his job as well as anybody's done their job at forward, not named mm-hmm. Michael Backlund, and I would make that argument. That's not about production. That's about you have a role on a team. How well do you do it? So the other two guys, fascinating. The dejection comes from one place. I I truly believe that Milan is an all-in guy who more than anything wants to win, and he wants to make an impact, and he wants to be a big part of it. And I think even for him personally, that's been a juggling act because that's a hard thing to balance. When you know you're not probably what you used to be, you can't be quite as impactful as you used to be, but that doesn't demean your hunger to want to make an impact and be on a winning team. So the dejection you saw from him, I think, is all of it. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of veteran guys went into this season feeling like they had a legitimate chance to contend and compete because I know I did when I looked at things and the personnel and the people, but it just hasn't mixed and matched at this point, which to me is the story. And Daryl in many ways confirmed it again today in his availability on the Walker Dewar front dynamite Mm -hmm. best player last night for me in the game, not named Jacob Markstrom. He just continues to show me speed, his growth, his ability to get on the forecheck. I continue to see even growth in his ability to make better decisions with the puck when he has it, Um, not be quite as quick to give up possession, made an awesome play to not only chip it by with his speed, but the cross ice feed. That's been a real good story this season in a season where, there haven't been a lot of great ones. Walker Dewar has really been a good one for me. I think we know what this, uh, like right now Walker's playing that that role with Lou Cheech and Lewis. And I know, like, I don't think ever, anybody thinks this guy's going to be a, uh, you know, a 20-goal guy on a regular basis. But do you think this guy could contribute down the future seasons, like get maybe some power play time, get some penalty kill, put him in more elevated roles? Do you think he's got that in him? I think he is the perfect 
player for the role that he's in. Mm-hmm. I think he has a chance to score 10 a year. And I think as he grows and matures and is even more comfortable in his role in playing in the NHL, I think he's just scratching the surface. And I do see an opportunity. I don't see him ever. Patrick is a power play guy, but I sure as heck see him as a penalty kill guy. Oh, yeah. And those guys are really important. And for this team, why I think he's really starting to stand out is as a group going forward, they need to play with more pace. And he gives them more pace. Do you think the Flames, like, I know it's getting down to it here, nine games, I know the math does not work great, but this team is probably its best when it's physical, it's on the fork check, is it engaged? Is it is it maybe time right now to almost play playoff-style hockey right now, like with the physical? I know it's tough for late in the season, it's banged up, everybody's hurting, but is it almost time to play like a game one of the opening round right now with the style of play you want to bring? Would it be wrong for me to suggest that that should have kicked in a long time ago? Not at all. Should I sit and should I suggest my good man? And I know exactly where you're going. I think it's a great question. I really do. Is one of the things that has held this team back is they haven't been as committed to that way of playing and mindset Mm -hmm. as they've needed to be. Thus, the fluctuation almost from game to game in their performance. So you can't ever, and you know this, you can't ever completely get to the playoffs until the playoffs are there. Mm -hmm. But you sure as heck as a group can get to a standard of compete and what you can control and be consistent with it. That to me is the difference. It's, Because the other way, really, if you think about it, the other is about flipping a switch. That doesn't work. Mm -hmm. It doesn't. Because just like when you go to bed at night and wake up in the morning, this can't be an on and off switch. It's always got to be on. It's going to flicker once in a while, but it's always got to be on. And that, to me, is really the moral. Tomorrow, a uh, big game. Uh, obviously, we'll get into the shark side of things here in a second. But uh, for Michael Backlund, it's uh, not game 900 tomorrow. Uh, a lot of great stories for Michael Backlund. But uh, some thoughts on uh, the current longest reigning flame. Well, I'll start on the personal side. He is one of the best humans I've ever dealt with in my career in professional sport. Period. End of story. Classy cares about people, unbelievably respectful. Um, I've enjoyed every second I've spent with them and have been around long enough to almost see all of it yep. as a Calgary Flame. I, I, I could never stop saying enough good things about him, his values, what he does in the community, how important it is for him to be a great dad I really, I look up to Michael Backlund. So I don't know if I can give you anything stronger than that. As far as his playing career, to get the 900, to do it with the grace that he's done it with. But more importantly, I think the story right now with Michael, I don't think he's ever played better. Yeah. I really don't. I think this is his best, most impactful season ever in the NHL. And he just turned 34 on St. Patrick's Day. I think he is playing with as much investment in this team, this franchise, as he ever has. And I think that really, and I agree wholeheartedly, and Daryl talked about it today, because I asked him about Michael's year and what's been different. There, there was a change in the playoffs where his bite, his confidence in his ability to be a great two-way centerman, and he's been a really, 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 really good two-way centerman for a long time. Oh, yeah. But he's at the top of his game, and he's been their best forward this year. And that 
going into game number 900 after the highs and lows, the ups and downs, what he's had to deal with. It's a magical story. But again, I don't say this very often. In fact, I'm not sure I've ever said it very often. I look up to Michael Backlund as a person. He helps me be better by how he conducts himself. I think if you had 23 Michael Backlunds, you'd be doing all right. In a lot of ways. Oh, yeah, it can be applied to so many life situations. Uh, just a thought maybe on the, uh, maybe a thought on the San Jose Sharks uh, headed tomorrow. I know they've, they've been going through it. They uh, sent off a whole bunch of pieces there at the deadline, Timo Meyer. But uh, this is a group that's, they're in for it for a long haul, but they're going to be putting in Eric Carlson in tomorrow uh, tomorrow afternoon on his way to 100 points, probably a Norris Trophy as well. But maybe a thought on, uh, on the Sharks and uh, what you're anticipating for tomorrow. Uh, they got to get out to a real, really good start because they'll be playing at the same time as the Winnipeg Jets. Yes. Um, and it's, it's even past watching the scoreboard. You got to run the table. Oh yeah. That's where it sits. You got nine left. You might need 17 points. So, but again, that can't be the focus. So I'll just talk about Eric Carlson. I did not see this coming. I didn't No. Um, He looks a lot like the guy that he looked like in his last year in Ottawa, or at least the year where he helped them to great places in the playoffs and played with a very serious foot injury that I'm not sure he's been healthy with again until maybe this year. So he has been at his offensive best ever this year. Do I love how he checks? Never have. <laughs> Never will. No. But what he has done this year um, is is a, is historic in nature offensively. So I'm looking forward to seeing him again. Flames will have to be very aware when he's on the ice. And it'll be one of the highlights of tomorrow afternoon. And... Tomorrow on the coaches show with Daryl, which I've already conducted, sorry, it isn't live for anybody who thinks out there that it is. <laughs> it's all good. It's usually on game day, but because of the afternoon start, it's already been done. Um, I think I think listeners will find it interesting because I asked Daryl about his perspective on what he's seeing from Eric Carlson this year. Looking forward to that one for sure. Uh, it's Friday, Lou. That means uh, what does Lou say? And what does Lou say is brought to you by Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, now open Tuesday to Sunday at 5 p.m. The perfect place to indulge before the game. Enjoy prime steak broiled to perfection and serve sizzling on a 500-degree plate. And today's winner is Colin. Uh, you'll be going to tomorrow's game. It's a quick turnaround. You'll also be receiving a $200 gift card to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse plus a pair of lower bowl tickets to the Flames and Sharks tomorrow afternoon. Lou, the question is, as hard as this season has been, what gives you hope that this is a one-off type year rather than the norm going forward? What gives me hope is it would fit the Calgary Flames pattern of quite some time. One year on, one year off. One year on, one year off. I still very much believe in the personnel. But I think some key members are going to need a summer and a reset. I think the organization, I can't probably answer that question best for you, and it's an awesome question, until the season comes to an end. And I know what Murray Edwards, John Bean are thinking and what they plan to execute in terms of how they want to proceed going forward. Because I think there is a lot to be learned from this season. And I'm as fascinated as anybody moving forward.
Yeah, the next three weeks will be absolutely critical to see what this team does going forward. Lou, thank you very much there. Colin, congratulations. You're going to tomorrow afternoon's game against the Sharks, and you get the $200 gift card to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Lou, all the best uh, this weekend. Enjoy calling the games today and all weekend. I know this is all this is what you love to do, so I know you're going to kill it. It is. Okay, pal. Thanks. Have a great day. There you go. It's Peter Labardius, our Calgary Flames analyst, uh, right here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. He joined us down the Atlas Beats and Sports Bar guest hotline using that same secret recipe since 1975. Dine in at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Takeout or delivery at 403-248-3344. And Lou is brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. Your home renovation should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. The Gemini Group now offering air miles, reward miles. Visit GeminiGroup.ca. Yeah, that was a tough one last night for the Calgary Flames falling to the uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, back at it again tomorrow afternoon against the San Jose Sharks. It's a 2 p.m. start down at the Dome. Uh, on the out-of-town scoreboard, they'll be playing at the same time as the Winnipeg Jets, who are in action down in Los Angeles. And uh, they should kind of know what Nashville is going to be up to, uh, what Nashville has done by the time they take the ice as they're uh, taking on the Seattle Kraken at noon. It's uh, It's a tough crawl. It's going to be a tough one here, but uh, we'll have uh, all the Flames action right here tomorrow starting at 1 o'clock with Flames warm-up with Lou and Pat Steinberg. Uh, Coming up uh, later on today on our program, Flames Talk at 4 o'clock, an exclusive chat with Michael Backlund as uh, Michael will celebrate Game 900 as a member of the Calgary Flames tomorrow afternoon. Uh, That'll be a chat with Pat Steinberg coming up at 5.30. Do not want to miss that one. Around the corner, John Hodge, CFL reporter from Three Down Nation. He'll be uh, joining me, talk a little bit what's going on with the uh, CFL Combine, drafts coming up, and uh, what else is going around in the Canadian Football League. That's next as Sportsnet Today continues on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Back to Sportsnet Today on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Welcome back to Sportsnet Today. Patrick Dumas. Spring is here. Weather's changing. I mean, the CFL is going to come really quickly here. Training camps will be open up in the next couple of months or so. But right now, it's the combine as draft season is getting underway. We go back down the Atlas Beats and Sports Bar guest hotline, and we're joined by uh, CFL reporter from Three Down Nation, John Hodge. How are we doing on this Friday today, John? Living the dream, brother. Oh, I love to hear that. Are you up in Edmonton with uh, watching the combine? I'm watching it as we speak. Ooh, okay. Well, let's start there. It's ongoing right now. What are uh, what are some of the uh, standouts right now you're seeing? Well, I mean, it, it's still early. Yesterday was all the testing, and uh, typically, and then by the way, the CFL Combine is a brand new format this year. Traditionally, they do testing over a couple of days and then get into the drills in one-on-one. This year, they did all the testing in one day. That was yesterday. Today is the drills, the one-on-ones, and then they've got three days of practices. After that, to me, the number one standout in the most recent drill, which was the O-line, D-line drill, was Francis Bemi, Montreal-born defensive lineman out of Southern Utah. Talked to Bemi earlier this week. He grew up a huge fan of the Montreal Alouettes, and uh, he showed out doing his best impression of John Bowman from back in the day. Yeah, he projected first-round pick. He's not participating. He didn't participate yesterday because of the, the his ongoing hamstring. But uh, what's uh, what's the overall look at this guy? Is this going to be a, a, like a top two, three selection come uh, come May? I, I would be shocked if he wasn't a first-round pick. I think the only thing that takes him out of the first round is if he gets a potential NFL look. Yeah, but he's he's a real long, long kid. Like he's six three, six four, two hundred fifty-five pounds, big long arms. And, uh, I mean, he certainly looked the part. He brought power. He brought speed. He got quickness. And um, he, made, he made a few offensive linemen look silly, to be perfectly honest. And <laughs> the, the O-line, D-line drill, it should be stated, does benefit the defensive side of the ball, right? It is a drill that, you know, is, is supposed to emulate real football. But at the end of the day, it's not real football. It's just, you know, a, a snapshot, so to speak. But. I mean, I, I thought Bemi was the standout, but there, but there were others. I, I'm looking forward to watching the back when uh, when I get the opportunity to do so. Now, in the in the CFL, obviously teams they they love to use their draft picks on Canadian D line and O linemen. Uh, obviously, that's the key to filling out a big roster is get your Canadians on those sides of the ball. What are the some of the uh, maybe some of the skill guys uh, that are showing out? Uh, wide receiver, running back, and potentially maybe even a quarterback. Yeah, this year, I mean, the, the skill positions are, are not the, the strength of the, of the class. I think the, 
the strongest position group is D-line, probably followed by DB, but that doesn't mean there aren't any good skill guys available here. I think the number one guy people are really interested in is Clark Barnes out of the University of Guelph. Clark Barnes, he told Three Down Nation earlier this week he was going to run 4-4, came just shy of that, ran 4-5-3, but he's still a burner, and, and I think he's a little bigger when, when you see him in person than a lot of people anticipated. You know, sometimes you sports teams – their rosters aren't always the most accurate in terms of heights and weights, but he, he measured in at a true six feet, 200 pounds. And um, yeah, he's, he's quick as a hiccup, had a lot of injuries at the U sports level, only played. Uh, I think it was 14 games with the Griffins over three seasons. Of course, the canceled season in 2020 played mm-hmm. a role in that, but if he can stay healthy at the next level, he's, he's an explosive guy. And, and the guy he's drawing comparisons to, I think, Largely due to the Guelph ties, is Kean Schaefer Baker. I mean, Kean okay. Schaefer Baker was a fourth round pick a few years ago, has since become a household name, is one of the most explosive receivers in the league, regardless of passport, right? Kean Schaefer Baker is not good for a Canadian receiver. He is just good for a receiver, exactly. period. So to me, I, I think that he's he's the number one guy that, that players are looking at from, from a skill standpoint, but there are a few others, and, um, you know, that's the best thing about the CFL draft, is there's always guys who go in the mid to late rounds and, and you look back years later and you go, whoa, how, how the heck did that guy fall there? Uh, some of the teams uh, I've noticed they're, they're seeing that some of the players they expected to be available at the draft and going through this process are choosing to go back to school. Uh, what's uh, anything uh, on, on that? Or is it just like, hey, uh, you know, get your education, you play your three years and then you go or four years or whatever and go into the career world? Well, I, I think the frustration from a lot of CFL teams is, is not necessarily a reflection of the players' individual choices, mm-hmm. but more just of the trend that's happened the last few years. As a result of the pandemic, what U Sports essentially allowed players to do was was just, you know, as a rule of play, an extra year of football. And the CFL responded to that by saying, okay, well, rather than drafting players and then having them, you know, have another two years of eligibility, what if we just allowed guys to defer their draft year by by 12 months you can't defer twice regardless mm-hmm. of how much of eligibility you have but you can, you can defer once and i think the league did that without maybe realizing how popular that option would be yeah. like over the last three years about 400 different prospects including 150 this year have deferred and, and i think the frustration lies in the fact that a couple of top offensive linemen both at a ubc theo benedict and giovanni manu both opted out of this class and took what was a, a position that was that was going to have some, you know, like like be at least decent in terms of talent along the offensive line, and it and it downgraded. And that's not again, it's not to say they're not good offensive linemen in this class, but mm-hmm. it's not a class where you look at it and go like, whoa, this is a bumper class of linemen. That's going to be great. Now, one thing that I've been led to believe, I've yet to confirm this with the league, is that the deferment option ran for three years, which means that next year you will not be able to defer from 2024 to 2025. You just stay in 2024. So a lot of teams are excited about next year's yeah. draft because you're getting a bit of a bumper crop. But in the intermediate time, there's a little bit of frustration, especially because let's remember the CFL with the XFL, the USFL, chewing up a lot of prospects. There's a lot of players, mostly American who are spending more time south of the border than ever before. And so if you're a CFL team and you're going, look, like we need talent, doesn't matter the, the nationality, we, we need guys, we're hurting, what, what can we get in the draft? And then yeah. all of a sudden it's like, okay, here's 150 guys who aren't available anymore. I, I can see why they're frustrated. And that's not to say that players don't have valid reasons for opting out, right? Guys have mm-hmm. academic goals. Some, some guys want to wait a little longer, see if they can maybe get NFL looks. But um, I, I can see why the CFL teams are, are frustrated. Talking with John Hodge, CFL reporter from Three Down Nation, live from the CFL Combine up in Edmonton. Uh, one of those players that uh, who, who has a Canadian passport who left the CFL last season and uh, went to the highest level of football, that's Nathan Rourke. Rick Campbell came out saying that he would have made more money if he stayed in BC this year. I also kind of question the move at the time. Like, I get he was coming off the injury, but... He's going to a place in Jacksonville where he's not guaranteed a roster spot. He's going to have to fight for a ro- uh, spot in that roster. Uh, he's not going to be the backup to Trevor Lawrence right away. What would have another? What harm could have another good year in the CFL done for Nathan Rourke? Maybe even got him a, an actual spot where he could be a backup next year. 
Well, I think if you're Nathan, like like you're 24 years old right now, and making the jump to the NFL, I think gets gets harder every year that you're older. I, yep. I think the the rough take is that once once you hit 26, certainly 27, mm-hmm. you've kind of aged out. So it is true that he could have had another year or two to, to potentially test the NFL. But I think for Nathan, you, you you've kind of put everything on film that you need to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think where Rick Campbell was coming from is he's saying, look, you know, and and, and Part of this is, is me connecting dots. I don't want to put words in a Rick Campbell's mouth, but I think what, what Rick was saying was essentially like this, you know, Nathan Rourke, as you laid out, is, is likely not to be the, the backup this year. CJ Beathard is yep. $2 million guaranteed on his on his two-year contract that he just signed back with the Jaguars. Clearly they like him behind Trevor Lawrence, and that means Nathan Rourke is likely to head to the PR. And if he's on PR, he's going to make about three hundred grand Canadian. Well, in the CFL, like – you know, Zach Kolaris is the highest paid player in the league. He's making double that. Yeah. And I'm sure that these two Lions on a, on a new three-year deal would have been, I, you know, maybe they don't go to Kolaris money, but I'm sure they would have been happy to, to pay something close to that. And so, you know, and, and of course, the other benefit is you're playing, right? You're not practicing and, and, and sitting on the bench. So I get, I get from a long-term perspective, Nathan Rourke is looking at this and saying, okay, even if I'm just a PR guy this year, maybe the following year I'm on a roster. Maybe I get into a game. Maybe I have the opportunity to sign a backup contract, even even just like C.J. Beathor did, right? He's making mm-hmm. $4.5 million U.S. over two years. So I, I see it from Rourke's side, but I also see it from Campbell's side because it is true in the short term. I, I do believe in, in 2023, Nathan Rourke would have made more money in Canada than he's probably going to make this year with the Jaguars, barring injury to Lawrence or Beathor. We'll keep it in BC. Uh, is the, is it an open competition there, quarterback between uh, Vernon Adams and Dane Evans? No, Vernon Adams Jr. is the starter, and and the team has has made that very clear. Mm-hmm. Dane Evans made that very clear, respecting like this is Vernon Adams' team. And and to Adams' credit, I mean, he came in in, in kind of a, a tricky situation, right? The Lions wow. they lost Nathan Rourke, struggled for a couple weeks, traded for Adams, put him in. He went four and two as a starter, won a game at McMahon, which is. You know, as we all know, it's oh, yeah. not an easy place to win in the CFL. And they're rallying around him. And, and Dane Evans has taken a, a big pay cut. I mean, Dane Evans <laughs> was supposed to make in the neighborhood of $450,000 this season in Hamilton. He redid his deal with BC, taking a, approximately a $300,000 pay cut. So he's there, I think, to kind of recuperate his career. And, and you know, I, I think it's possible we see Dane Evans as a starter again in the CFL. But barring injury... I don't think that's going to be the case in 2023. It's clear that, at least for now, BC is is Vernon Adams' team, and and uh, I think we're only going to see Dane if if you know it's a late 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 game situation or, or potentially an injury. Uh, province to the east of us, uh, Saskatchewan, tough break for the Riders. They're going to be without their number one uh, rod receiver and Keen Schaefer Baker to start the year as he undergoes some hip surgery. Not the start you wanted for that Trevor Harris era. No, and, and Kean Schaefer-Baker, I mean, we, we talked about him a little bit earlier, yeah. right, in, in the draft conversation. I mean, he's not he's not good for a Canadian receiver. He's he's good for any receiver. And yeah. Jeremy O'Day spoke to Three Down Nation earlier this week, the GM of the team, and said, look, like, we don't see Kean as Canadian or American, whatever. We, we just see him as, as a star. And that's, I think, <laughs> appropriate, right? <laughs> I mean, he's he's one of the most electric receivers in the league, and he's going to be out a while. I mean, like he, he underwent a surgery. If, if, if you, and I'm not a doctor, I don't claim to be, but if you Google the surgery, the estimated recovery time is a bare minimum of six months, which would put him back at labor day. I don't think the team is ruling him out until labor day. They've, they, you know, I think they, they said he, he won't be ready to start, but we'll have to wait and see when he's back. But to me, I, 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 I don't think Ryder fans should be, waiting with bated breath to see Kean Schaefer-Baker in 2023. I, I think it's likely he'll see the field, but I don't think this is a matter of, okay, he's back week three or he's back week four. This is probably going to be a situation where mm-hmm. he's back middle of the year. And if you're the Riders and you're, you're at a playoff spot, like what a great midseason addition. Right. I'll take you to the next level. But we all know that the Riders are, are under some pressure, right? They're coming off a rough year in which they lost, I believe it was two, uh, nine of their last 11 games. They missed the playoffs hosting the Great Cup. And if if they're in a bad spot come the middle of the season, then that, that is obviously going to cost them. So they're going to have to tread some water before Shooter Baker's back in the lineup. I think Alouette's fans can breathe a little easier now. They've been sold. They got a new uh, new owner in uh, Pierre-Carl Pelodeau. Uh, talking about the, the grassroots game in Quebec is what's really made him uh, the love of, to love of this game and getting back into this, uh, bringing the Alouettes a new owner. 
Uh, you talked about could this could this like first off, what is this going to do for Montreal as a franchise to have uh, some stable ownership? And two, the expansion question: If Halifax isn't a thing on the table right now, would Quebec City be a possibility? We know what Laval does to that market. I mean, that's a fabulous question. I, I, I've been led to believe that there are some very significant hurdles in Quebec City ever being an option for the CFL. Okay. The, the advantage that we have there in terms of uh, uh, is, is at least the facility, yeah. right? I mean, you've got Tele Stadium, which is amazing. Oh, one of the best in the, the country. They are play out of. But with that being said, I mean, there's, there's an ownership concern. There's, there's a competition concern, mm-hmm. right? I mean, the Rouge or are an institution yep. in, in Quebec City. And, um, I, you know, I, I don't know if you can put a professional football team there. It, it'd almost be like putting a professional football team in Alabama. That's right? fair. Alabama, yeah. <laughs> for all intents and purposes, has a pro team. They just happen to play at the college level. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, there's, there's nothing amateur about what Nick Saban is able to do with, uh, with the Crimson Tide. So, I mean, we'll see. I, I, as for PKP... Pierre Car- uh, Pierre Carl Pelado, I mean, he's worth 2.6 billion Canadian dollars, and he's got, you know, ins to the media. He's he's got, you know, he, he's media savvy, he's business savvy. I don't know how you can argue mm-hmm. with having him as an owner in this league. And you know, I, I think if you're the Alouettes, a team that was ownerless in 2019, a team that you know had some ownership issues this past season, obviously recently went back into the uh, control the CFL on Valentine's Day. I don't know how you can argue or complain with having a uh, a, a multi-billionaire suddenly running the show. And also, he's actually from Quebec, right? Yeah. This is the first time the Alouettes have had local ownership um, in decades, which which is wild to say, but it's true. And and for an area of the country that has a very distinctive culture and and you know has has its own language and and you know has. Uh, you know, a, a very proud history mm-hmm. and a proud heritage. I, I think it's wonderful that they have a, a local Quebecer who is who is there and, and calling the shots. So to me, I, I think it's a uh, I think it's a, a fantastic move for the for the league. Yeah, I agree. It's a, it's an electric place once uh, when that stadium is filled and once uh, when they're winning. It's a it's a fun football market for sure. Uh, I'll get you out on this one. Hall of Fame class: uh, Solomon Alamimian, uh, John Bowman, uh, former Commissioner Larry Smith, former Stampeder. Uh, Lloyd Fairbanks, so just a thought on the the, the 2023 uh, class. Also, uh, some great media guys, of course, uh, Chris Schultz, the late great Chris Schultz, getting in as well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's wonderful that Schultz got to go yeah. in. You, you wish it would have happened when oh, when he was still with us. 100%. Obviously, tragically, you know, suffering a a heart attack a few years ago. Um, it's wild to think that that's already been a couple of years yeah. since he left us, but. I mean, you, I don't think you can argue, especially with the two first round or, or first first ballot inductees. And by the way, if if you look at the history, I wrote an article about this a couple of years ago. The guys who are in the Hall of Fame, some of whom weren't first ballot Hall of Famers, is shocking. Like Damon Allen was a second ballot Hall of Famer <laughs> in the CFL. That is okay. that is a fact. You can you can look it up. Um, so the fact that Solomon Alaminian and John Bowman, our first ballot Hall of Famers, I think is incredible and, and well-deserved. I yeah. mean, Solomon Alaminian is the only defensive exclusive player to win MOP in this league ever. Mm-hmm. And John Bowman was was basically an East Division All-Star for, for 15 years in yep. a row. So to me, I think it's, uh, it's, a, it's a great class. It's a well-deserving class. The, the one critique that I will make, Brian Chu, arguably the greatest center in CFL history, is still waiting for his call. Oh, my God. And, Frankly, I think that's a problem. So hopefully next year, Brian Chu's year. We'll see. Yeah, you got Josh Bork going in. Needs one of his teammates as well. So hell yeah, Brian Chu. Let's get him in because I, I thought I would have I would have honestly thought Brian Chu was in. He's not. Wow. <laughs> Come on, committee. Whoever votes on that, we gotta get Brian Chu in. Well, thank you so much, John. Uh, all the best uh, up in Edmonton. Enjoy the combine. We'll uh, we'll do this again soon as we get closer to the season. Looking forward to it. Thanks. There you go. That's John Hodge, uh, live in Edmonton from the CFL Combine. He, of course, uh, of Three Down Nation, doing everything good uh, for the CFL. Uh, check out all the work. Justin Dunk, JC Abbott, John I. Hodge, they do great work for the league over at Three Down Nation. Uh, coming up, uh, we'll uh, have uh, we'll continue the NHL conversation. Got David Pagnotta coming up, editor-in-chief from the fourth period, host uh, over at Sirius XM NHL Radio. Uh, but I want to play this. Uh, 
Still got some time here. I think we can play this a little bit. Uh, here's Michael Backlund uh, from earlier on. Uh, he met with the media as he plays, uh, will play game 900 tomorrow afternoon against the San Jose Sharks. Obviously, front of mind, not a lot going well with this organization. But uh, if you remember, if you heard our chat with Lou, uh, what he me- what Michael Backlund means to him. Uh, here's uh, here's Michael from earlier on. Talking at the noise and you know, focusing on getting the time. I imagine that's easier said than done. How are you guys trying to do it? Uh, yeah, I mean, got nine games left here to play. Um, then we'll see where we're at. Uh, we just got to focus on that. Um, just go out and play our best. Um, we can only control what we can control, and we got to focus on that. Michael, maybe a thought on, on, uh, on a milestone that you're about to hit. Um, you know, what is the significance of that? And you're looking just down, you know, the, the markers in terms of this organization and joining kind of an elite company there. What uh, what does it mean to you? Yeah, it's special. Um, I never thought and expected I would play nine games for one organization. Uh, I feel very privileged and it feels very special. And to be the third player to do that alongside Jerome and and Gio, it um, makes it even more special. Uh, those are some very special players. So, um, you know, Hall of Fame, Norris Trophy winner. Um, yeah, so it makes me feel you know a little special too, <laughs> being in that same club soon. Um, so yeah, no, I'm very thankful that Calgary stuck with me and that I'm still here playing with them. Is it, does it or for mean, them, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Does it, does it make it, you know, you, you said special, but yeah. then you see, you know, obviously to be able to spend some time with those two guys to, to, to be teammates, uh, you know, does that add another layer to it just to kind of share that company, but also have that history with them? Yeah, for sure. Uh, they're great teammates, great leaders. I learned a lot from both of them, um, just how to approach a game, um, how to be off the ice with, you know, in the locker room, with the fans, community, just everything. And the, both of them were uh, two big warriors on the ice so uh, I learned a lot from the two of them so yeah, uh, they're great great players and great uh, per- uh, people as well. Did you have any like interactions with those guys when you were young that kind of stuck with you whether it was you made a mistake and they pulled you aside or like anything that they taught you in the moment that you still recall 15-ish years later? Uh, well I just remember early I got to play a little bit with Iggy and uh, you know, he always like discuss and talk about things uh so um, there's no specific, uh, you know, moment. I mean, I remember before my uh, my first preseason game, I got to sit beside him, and that was very special. And, uh, you know, and he was, uh, you know, when I came in, he was kind of a, you know, a little more quiet, and then he grown, grew throughout the organization, became the captain eventually, and just to watch him uh, grow. Uh, uh, so a person player was uh, special to see as well and uh, we uh, we played for such a long time and uh, we had yeah we had a lot of fun fun times together and um, yeah just a fun person to be around obviously a lot of people rave about your defensive abilities as a forward can you describe the point in your playing career when you realize the defensive side of the game was something that you really had to emphasize in order to be successful? Oh, I had no choice. I came in here, and Brent and Daryl told me, yeah, you go to Abbotsford to learn how to play defense. So <laughs> there was no choice. If I wanted to play in NHL, uh, it was one way. Uh, so, no, I it was a tough time in Abbotsford, but, you know, uh, I learned a lot there, and uh, it, de- it definitely helped me to be a better two-way player. And to become the player I am today, and uh, but I look back to you know <clears throat> coming out of the lockout and having uh, come back here and playing with more confidence overall in my game and playing better and kind of solidify myself in this league. And the season after that, 13-14, I feel like I really took a next step being that two-way player and got more and more responsibility as that year went on from Bob, um, and uh, he was pushing me as well to be that two-way player and take pride in it to be a you know to shut down every. Whoever I played against, and um, you know, the um, beginning of the season, I didn't get as much. Or actually, I started playing against Sidney's first night of that season. I was minus three, and then <laughs> took me a little bit to get back to playing against top guys. And we had some talks during the time, so it was a little tough fall. But you know, around this December, I was back being that player and getting that responsibility from Bob. And uh, yeah, since then, I kind of that's been who I who I am. Can you describe a little bit more about what it takes to be a really good defensive forward? in this league, especially now where there's such an increase in offense and dynamic players in the top end of lineups? 
Well, I just trying to focus on doing the little things right, uh, make it harder on whoever I play against. Um, like you said, there's a lot of skilled players out there, really, really, really skilled players out there. Um, and but maybe their weakness is to play in their own zone. So you, that's how you uh, kind of want to go against them. You want to make them play in their their zone and make it a hard night for them getting out of their own zone and hem them in there and uh, make them uh, have to waste energy there. Um, to take away their offense and um so yeah um but yeah that's just kind of the mindset i've had um when i turned my career around was kind of you know do the little things right and the rest will come michael with those 900 regular season games i don't think have come as many playoff games as you or any guy would want how, how do you sort of grapple with the scenario that this team's facing again yeah it's been a oh everyone said it before a roller coaster season uh it's not over yet, but I mean, yeah, we know we have a. After last night, we have, a, uh, you know, it's a challenge, but it's still doable, and um, we'll talk more, you know, at the game 82, see where we're at. But uh, it has been an up and down, tough season for sure, and not the season we wanted. But at the same time, there's been a, was a big shakeup for this organization. Um, you know, so excitement going into the season with uh, with how things turn out, and but. Uh, Still, it's uh, uh, some big names, players, personalities leaving, and some big, and then yeah, some big names, players coming this way, uh, and yeah, it's been an adjustment for everyone, and yeah, so uh, it's not an excuse at all. It's just the way it is. Did last night bring it into focus a little bit? The what? The challenge. Did last night just the way with Winnipeg winning and obviously the loss here? Did it? Well, I made it harder. Uh, we didn't. That didn't help ourselves. Uh, we had a chance, and we played our worst game of the year in LA. And um, you know, then we bounced back the next night and was back in it. And then, yeah, last night we made it hard on ourselves. Uh, but once again, it's not over yet. We're you know we're gonna play our best all the way and push all the way till the end, and then we'll see where we're up. There you go. There's Michael Backlund from earlier on today. He will uh, have an exclusive chat with Pat Steinberg on Flamestock coming up at 5:30 ahead of Game 900 in his career. Uh, around the corner, we'll talk with David Pagnotta, the uh, d- editor-in-chief at the fourth period and host over at Sirius XM NHL Radio. What's going on around the NHL? And, of course, we'll get his take on the Flames. That's next. The Sportsnet Today continues on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.